everyone. We are back once again to discuss the most important nerd news of the week. On this episode, David Fincher's latest thriller gets a standing ovation at the Venice Film Festival. A Diablo 4 exec mentions annual expansions as part of live service. And SAG-AFTRA looks to authorize a second strike, this time against video game production companies. I'm Brennan Sem, and this is the New Wave Nerds. Hey guys, if you like the work that we do here and want to help us continue to bring you the news and reviews, head on over to patreon.com slash newwavenerds. There, you can unlock access to exclusive content like uncensored episodes and much, much more. Once again, that's patreon.com slash newwavenerds. Now let's get back to the show. All right, so our top news story this week comes by way of The Hollywood Reporter. David Fincher's noir thriller The Killer gets rousing standing ovation in Venice. Whoever wrote that headline, you're a genius. What wonderful rhyming scheme. Truly beautiful. Um, Worthy of a Pulitzer, if I may say so myself. Reading from the article, Fincher basked in seven minutes of applause in Bravo's Inside Venice's Sala Grande Cinema Sunday Night as the audience hailed his dark, gritty thriller starring Michael Fassbender. David Fincher's neo-noir action thriller The Killer brought the house down Sunday night at its Venice Film Festival premiere, drawing a seven-minute standing ovation in showers of bravos. Fincher basked in the reception from the balcony of Venice's Sala Grande Cinema Solo. Since his starring cast, uh, the inflection on that sentence was wrong. Fincher basked in the reception from the balcony of Venice's Sala Grande Cinema Solo. Since his starring cast, including Michael Fassbender and Tilda Swinton, were absent from the night's festivities due to the SAG-AFTRA strike. The Killer is written by Fincher's Seven and Fight Club screenwriter Andrew Kevin Walker and based on a French graphic novel of the same name. Now, that bodes well just in and of itself. I'm a big fan of Seven. Seven, interestingly enough, is one of, my, one of the films I would consider most enjoyable to watch. Um, I wouldn't say favorite, though that that word does come to mind. Uh, I think we sort of overuse it. I I wouldn't consider it a favorite, but it's it's incredible. It's one that I, I think I actually just rewatched it, maybe even a month ago. Um, I love it. I think it is it is wonderful. It's a great mystery, a detective, a little buddy cop we got going on with uh, Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt, um, with a with a wonderful. I don't know if twist is quite the right word, but if a, a, a lovely little reveal at the end there with the uh, with the box. What's in the box? Um, I don't know if you could hear that on the audio. I had to pull the mic really far away, so I, <laughs> I didn't break it. But I really liked that movie. Um, and I think if you haven't seen it, then what are you doing? Um, it has been, been pretty widely lauded over the years. Um now, Fight Club is obviously, by many, it's regarded as one of the like greatest films of of recent memory. Um, I, I wouldn't go that far. I really, I liked it. Obviously, it was very good. Uh, Ed Norton and again Brad Pitt, um, very very well done. A wonderful story. Shout out Chuck. Pa- Palinuk, is that how it's pronounced? I don't know, but it's a very good story, um, and it's a great film, but it's not one that I find myself going back to over and over again. I don't know. There's just something about it. I don't know. I can't quite 
place it. Um, but that being said, I do think I've actually only seen it one time. So maybe I should go back and rewatch it and maybe my feelings will be slightly different this time. I don't know. Um, but that, you know, of course, just by Nate, the fact that I haven't seen it twice, whereas I've seen seven, like three or four times is sort of, uh, an indictment in and of itself. Um, but I mean, like I said, that that bodes well because both of those films, the the scripts, the 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 uh, everything is written very well, and I, I'm I'm here for it. I'm here for it. I, I really like Michael Fassbender who plays the uh, the assassin, the titular killer, I would presume, um, and I really like him. Granted, I haven't seen him in much stuff, so. My liking him is is based pretty much solely on his work in um, in the X Men movies. I've definitely seen him in something else though. What what what, what was he in? Um, let's see. Obviously X Men. Oh, he was Steve Jobs. I do remember when that came out, but I never watched it. Alien Covenant, um, Assassin's Creed, which I never watched, but I heard was terrible. Let's see. Oh, Macbeth. Oh, only 6.6 stars. But a 71 critic score, so maybe it's decent. Um, What am I thinking of? Oh, 300. He was in that as well. Uh, in a bit part, though. In a bit part. So I don't know if that necessarily counts. Looks like he had a role in Inglorious Bastards, which has been on my watch list for quite a long time, but I have not been able to see it. Uh, yep, there we go, 300. He played Stelios, uh, who I believe was the friend of somebody's kid, though I don't necessarily remember who. So yeah, I, I guess it's based pretty much solely on X-Men, but I thought he was really good as Magneto. I thought he was great in the, um, I don't know what that universe is actually called, now that I think about it, that section of the X-Men. What is that reboot era called? Um, I don't know, per se. That's, it It has to have a name, though, right? Well, if you guys know, go ahead and, and let me know, because that's going to really irritate me. It's, it's going to really irritate me that I don't know that. But, regardless, I really liked him. Back to the article. Quote, it follows a cold-blooded assassin, Fassbender, who begins to have a, a psychological crisis after a fateful near-miss in a world with no compass, or excuse me, with no moral compass. Um, I'm interested. <laughs> I'm interested. Like I said, it sounds pretty good. Um, the fact that it got seven minutes standing ovation uh, might bode well, but at the same time... Um, Let's see. Let me see if I can find this in the article. I know that there has been a lot of articles coming out lately shouting the praise of these films. So when you sort of give every film that you see, you know, a massive standing ovation, then your ovation doesn't exactly mean much to me personally. Without having seen the films, without knowing anybody that was there, um, without really even seeing any... Tra trailers, teaser images, anything of the sort, the standing ovation nowadays doesn't necessarily mean something to me. Um, oh, here we go. This is the section I was looking for from the article. With the exception of Roman Polanski's The Palace, 
Ooh, I forgot about that one. We probably should we probably should um, discuss that one at some point. Uh, yes, Roman Polanski and I believe Woody Allen as well was involved with that. So we got quite the crew, <laughs> quite the crew involved there. Uh, a little awkward, a little awkward. I believe there were protesters outside the cinema for that one with signs that said "Don't normalize rape culture," uh, which hot take. I kind of agree, <laughs> but but that being said. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was going to make a joke, but I shouldn't. I shouldn't. Not at this point. Maybe someday when I could go in, in more depth um, so that my joke doesn't take it out of context. What was I reading? Oh, yes. With the exception of The Palace, which has been almost unanimously eviscerated by critics, nearly every major film to premiere in Venice this year has generated an overwhelmingly enthusiastic response. So, yeah, that doesn't exactly mean anything to me if you're gonna say everything is great then nothing is great really um so i don't know but i i i I think there's a good chance it's gonna be it's gonna be very good i think there's a good chance that i'm gonna like this one a lot like i said michael fassbender david fincher we've got an all-star crew here now back to the actual content of the film um, Netflix, the Netflix teaser for the film reads, Solitary, cold, methodical, and unencumbered by scruples or regrets, a killer waits in the shadows, watching for his next target. Yet the longer he waits, the more he thinks he's losing his mind, if not his cool. Yeah, I think that's pretty dope. <laughs> that sounds like a pretty good, a pretty good little synopsis there. Um, it definitely catches my eye. Uh, granted, that is the point of a synopsis. That's why they have people write these things. There's people whose sole jobs are just to write these so that you'll spend the twelve bucks to come see the film. Um, whoever it is, wrote, whoever it is that wrote that deserves a raise. I really, I think this is going to be pretty cool. The tagline for The Killer, which emblazons the countless film posters hanging around Venice's Lido this week, Lido? Lido? I, pres- I presume Lido, but I, don't, I guess I don't know. I've never actually heard of this before. Quote, execution is everything, end quote. Wow, what a, what a, <laughs> what a great tagline. <laughs> That's pretty silly. Uh, it could apply to Fincher's ethic as filmmaker as much as his latest movie. What? It's a weird line. Whoever wrote this, that was weird. And then they're not going to explain it because they just move on to something else now. Um, The Killer also reunites Fincher with cinematographer Eric Messerschmidt, who won an Oscar in 2021 for lensing the director's Hollywood period biopic Mank. Trevor, or excuse me, not Trevor, Trett Reznor and Atticus Ross, Oscar winners for their work on Fincher's The Social Network, wrote the film's score. Now, I saw Mank, um, and I thought it was very good. I, I don't... I guess I don't remember anything particularly crazy about the uh, the cinematography, though when that came out and then I wa- when I watched it, that was before I really started paying attention to things like that. It would have been one of those uh, films where I was like, oh, this is a very, a very beautiful film, but I wouldn't have necessarily uh, paid much attention to it. Let's see. Does he have any other things to his name? Um, Eric Messerschmidt. He's also doing the cinematography for uh, the film Ferrari, 
which I believe also received a lot, a lot of praise at one of the film festivals. Um, though I don't, I don't remember which, unfortunately. Um, that's the one it's all about, believe it or not, Ferrari, uh, Enzo Ferrari. I think Adam Driver plays him. I know a lot of people like Adam Driver. Um, I haven't seen him in anything other than Star Wars as Kylo Ren, and based off of that, he's garbage. Though I have heard a lot of people say that he is actually a very good actor, and I know that... What film was that that he did for Netflix that I think maybe it was last year or the year before? I want to say it was last year it received some awards. Um, what What is it called? A Marriage Story. Or maybe it's The Marriage... No, Just Marriage Story. Um, oh, I was completely wrong. It came out in 2019. I know that that one was very well received. Oh, yeah. Won an Oscar. Let's see. Best Performance by an Actress in a Supporting Role, Laura Dern. She's great. Not surprised. Scarlett Johansson got nominated. Um, Adam Driver also got nominated. Let's see. Is there a way to see easily on IMDb who else got nominated for this this year? Um, let's see. Best Performance by an Actor in a Leading Role. Nominees were Joaquin Phoenix for Joker. Uh, oh, and he won. Okay, that's fair. Uh, Dead. There's. There, that's a tough. That's a tough. <laughs> a tough person to beat. A tough role to beat. Um, also nominated Adam Driver, obviously Antonio Banderas for Pain and Glory. Jonathan Price for The Two Popes, which was I thought that that film was also very good. Um, and then Leo DiCaprio for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which. Again, I have not seen, um, though I have been told many times that it is incredible by multiple people, um, and obviously I love Tarantino, so I know I'll watch it at some point, but if I remember correctly, it is not available anywhere. So, oh, oh, sorry, my, um, my phone broke for a second there. I had the article pulled up and then it, it broke. So I don't have the article anymore, but I believe I was at the end because I think I already discussed early on how um, the final article in the, or excuse me, the final paragraph in the article was about the, uh, the enthusiasm, let's say, that all of the films had been received with at, at the film festival. So like I said, um, the fact that it got a standing ovation at this point doesn't mean anything to me based off of what I've been hearing from the various film festivals. It seems like every film has been, or every major film has been receiving, you know, seven to ten minute standing ovations. I believe Sofia Coppola's film also received um, a very long standing ovation. Um, let's see. Uh not necessarily very long. It was seven minutes in the film Priscilla, which this one I know everybody has been saying is was absolutely incredible. This one I know, at least according to the various critics and outlets that I read, that one definitely does deserve the praise. Um, I need to read a little bit more. I wonder if Deadline, which is my other favorite news source, I wonder if they have um, an update on The Killer. I forgot the film, of the, the name of the film already. <laughs> I wonder if they have an update so I can see their thoughts as well, see if they thought it was it's well-received. But this one, I'm tentatively going to say, is very exciting to me. It's one that I certainly want to watch. I don't know. 
like I, you know, I've, I'm fairly new into getting involved in uh, paying attention to these film festivals, so I don't necessarily know how fast the turnaround typically is. If this is the type of thing that we're gonna need to wait another, you know, twelve months for uh, before it hits theaters, I don't know if we're waiting six months, eight months. You know, if it's gonna drop two, three months from now, I have no idea. Um, hopefully, it is in the six to eight month range. Uh, so we don't have to wait too long. Um, but I, I'm, I've got really high hopes for this one. I really liked, like I said, Seven was absolutely incredible. Um, one of the most enjoyable films I've watched to date, frankly. Like I said, it has a way of just keeping or continuing to draw me in. Um, even Kevin Spacey as John Doe. Um, Kevin Spacey recently, I believe, acquitted in the UK court, or maybe quitted isn't the, quite the right word. I read the article, but th that happened like months ago, so I've forgotten now. Forgive me. Um, I'm sure he's probably still not exactly a good guy. <laughs> I'm sure he's probably still pretty bad, but legally speaking, I guess he is clear for the time being. Um, though I believe that was just located in the UK, and I think he has other trials elsewhere, including one here in the US. Not important. Um, his role as John Doe was incredible. He's obviously a phenomenal actor. Um, regardless of how terrible of a person he may or may not be, dude can act. <laughs> dude can act. Um, so, I don't know. I, I'll have to see who else is in the cast list for this one. Uh, obviously, Tilda Swinton. Um, let me see, actually, if I can just pull it up really fast, see who else is in here. I don't know why I didn't think to do that earlier. Um, it would have been very smart of me, but believe it or not, I am not as intelligent as one would think. Oh, it looks like we also do have a release date, November 10th, 2023. So that is very soon, I guess. I don't know if that's typical for turnaround on these things, but about two months. Oh, it says in select theaters. So may oh, that's uh, okay. In sorry, in select theaters, October, full release date, November 10th. Um, who else do we have in here? Monique Ganderton, Arliss Howard, Lacey Dover. N I don't know any of these people. Yeah, I, I, I don't know anybody here. Which does it, you know, it's not necessarily bad. I wonder if I can find the graphic novel available anywhere. I believe it is written by Alexis Nolan. No, no, I, I believe he's French, so it's spelled Alexis Nolent. But I, I have a, a, a feeling that that is not how it's pronounced. Alexis Nolan. You know, take that how you will. I'm going to see if I can find that somewhere, because... I might, I might want to read that, if they have a translation. Obviously, I, d I don't know French, so that, that would make it kind of difficult to read. But I don't know. We will just have to wait and see. Hopefully, some more material will come out in the coming days. But that's all we have for this news story. Moving on, a Diablo 4 executive mentions annual expansions as part of the game's live service. The, the subtitle for this article from IGN is Destiny is Calling Me, and I thought that was really funny. <clears throat> Reading from the article, quote, It sounds like Diablo 4 is set for annual expansions based on comments from its chief developer. 
In an interview with Dexter 2, Diablo 4 boss Rod Ferguson mentioned quarterly seasons and annual expansions as the focus for the action role-playing game's live service. When you look at the launch of the game in this first season, we see that as a we see that as building a foundation on which we can build for the future. So as we look at our quarterly seasons and we look at our annual expansions, those are things that we're really focused on for our live service. We've got plans, we have storylines that go well into the future, we've, we've got plans, we're always leapfrogging our seasons and leapfrogging our expansions. So it's something we are excited to do for a long time, we're excited, end quote. Again, that was Rod Ferguson, chief developer for Diablo 4. <clears throat> Annual expansion supported by quarterly seasons is the live service model employed by Destiny developer Bungie, which has maintained the popularity of Destiny 2 to a high enough level to support a live service for over six years now. Diablo 4 enjoyed a huge launch in June, becoming Blizzard's fastest-selling game of all time. Season 1 has had its problems, however, including a disastrous patch that forced a U-turn from Blizzard. Season 2, dubbed Season of Blood, launches October 17th and adds a vampire hunter called Eris. October 17th, so that's a little bit over a month away. Uh, we will have to be sure to... No, I did finish this, this story for Season Um I believe we may or may not be streaming Saturday morning, Saturday morning cartoons, Saturday morning Diablo stream. It makes perfect sense. Um, I believe Shade and I will be doing that at roughly, I think we're, we might even, we're going to start, I don't know when we're going to start. It depends on when Shade wakes up, unfortunately. I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to set anything down uh, for sure just yet, but keep your eye out on our social medias. We do plan to uh, try and stream Saturday morning um, for a couple hours before I have to head into work. Let's see, back to the article. Story-wise, Diablo or Blizzard has said Diablo 4 seasons are reserved for quests that take place alongside the main events of the game, leaving expansions to move the plot on from the end. Ever since launch, players have tried to work out where the Diablo 4 story will head next, based on a number of secret post-credits endings that tease the return of one of the series' most famous villains and perhaps a new big bad. Post-credits endings. Post-credits endings that tease the return of one of the series' most famous villains. I think I think what they're referring to here is... Spo okay, before I say, spoiler alert for the end of Diablo 4... You have been warned. I believe what they're talking about here is the scene in that cinematic right at the end where Nayrell, after absconding with the Soul Stone with um, Mephisto trapped inside of it, heads across the sea. I believe, I believe that's what they're referring to here. I can't think of... Was there an, another explicit post credit scene that I missed? Hmm. I haven't played through the story a second time all the way through, so bear with me here. I may I will have to do that at some point. I have I have a second character, um, a barb that I've been working on doing that with, but frankly I haven't played Diablo 4 for about two weeks now. Um I can't think of what else they'd be referring to. I, I have to imagine that that is gonna be the conclusion or not the conclusion, but that is at least the next way that they are going to go with the story following Nayrell. 
Um, as we talked about in our Diablo 4 review, I'm also sort of of the opinion that they need to bring back the Angiris Council, Council in some form. We need to find out what is going on in the high heavens. Why have they shut themselves off? What were they doing while we were battling Lilith? Because uh, theoretically, at least, it impacts them as well. Um, yeah, I don't know. Curious. Now I'm nervous that I missed a, a major post credit scene that's going to give an, uh, a hint as to what is going to happen in the future. Mm, I will I will return to the game and come back to you guys with hopefully a more well-informed opinion on this. Um, let's see, going back to the article, assuming Diablo 4 will see an expansion in 2024, perhaps Blizzard will unveil it at BlizzCon this November. Wow, that's soon. That's another two months away. Um, I guess, yeah, I mean, I suppose that's the only time that makes sense. Otherwise, they're not going to reveal it. They're just going to have to do it without a big... I feel like they want to do a big, massive event for a reveal, though, considering how massive this game was when it came out. Um, I mean, just going back to this article here, in IGN's 9 out of 10 review, we described Diablo 4 as, quote, a stunning sequel with near-perfect endgame and progression design that makes it absolutely excruciating to put down. Uh, yeah, so that's sort of the general consensus by everybody who's played the game, so I would think that they would want to have a an absolute massive event when it comes to revealing the, the next expansion, the next major story beat. So... BlizzCon makes sense, but like I said, that just feels really fast to me. To announce the next expansion, what would that be, like five months? Yeah, five months after the original game drops? I mean, that's kind of wild. That's so fast. But then again, you know, yearly expansions is just, frankly, not something that I'm typically used to. Right. I mean, what are the what are the WoW expansions normally? Are those two years? Um, I feel like that's normally two years. WoW expansion release dates. Um, wait a minute. Here we go. Let me pull up this article from Dot Esports. Let's see. Yeah, Cataclysm was ten. Mists is twelve. Warlords fourteen. Legion sixteen. Uh, BOA 18, Shadowlands 20, Dragonflight 22. Yeah, so two years is, is I thought that felt right. Typically, what I'm used to. Um, granted, you know they have major patches throughout those whole two years, right? So, and each one of those is a little bit like a mini expansion with a whole new quest line, new mechanics, and everything involved. So I don't know. I guess it depends. But I mean, the Diablo expand. When did? It, let's see. How 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 long after? Um, Diablo 3 proper did Reaper of Souls come out. Reaper of Souls was released in 2014. And when was Diablo 3 proper released? Do, 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 do. Diablo 3 release date. It was released 2012. Okay, so another... So what is that? Two years? Yeah, March 25th, 2014... May 15th, 2012. That's about two years. Um, let's see. Diablo 2. Diablo 2 was 2000. Okay, and Lord of Destruction was only 2001, so that's only a year. And then there was no expansions for D1. 
So I guess it's not it's not really that different from the standard for Diablo. Um, I guess what I would have to see to really know if there if 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 the pattern is that they would release it or excuse me announce it at BlizzCon, I would need to go back to see when they announced Diablo Two Lord of Destruction. Um, if that happened similar in like a similar time frame or but then I get then again you know that that's a very different era I mean back in the 2000s you know the way that you announce things was very different it's a, a completely different landscape from then the internet is much more ubiquitous um, so I don't know but again you know Diablo 2 was also equally highly lauded generally considered to be one of the greatest action RPGs of all time, right? Not, and that's that's not just me. I think that's most critics would agree in that sentiment that it is, at the very least, one of the most influential, if not the greatest, or one of the greatest. Um, it certainly defined the genre. That's that's undisputed in how Diablo 2 uh, defined the way that those games operate. Um, man... They're still releasing seasons for Diablo 3? Wow. Season 29 is is supposed to come September 15th. That's wild. Man, that's so crazy. Um, Man, so I don't know. But, but annual expansions, I guess that begs the question, annual for how long, right? How many years are they planning on doing this before they either give up or they move to D5? Um, I guess I don't know. I, uh, I would assume that, frankly, they're probably only going to do... Uh, if, if, the, if, if they hadn't said that they were going to do annual expansions, I would have guessed that they were only going to do two expansions, max. Two expansions, max. Which itself is already out of the ordinary because the standard has been one for Diablo games, right? I mean... Um, D2 had, I already forgot what it's called, and I was just talking about it, Lord of Destruction, and D3 had Reaper of Souls, and then that was it. That was it. So I don't know. I hope that they don't... I hope they don't do more than three expansions. If they start going more than that, I think it's it's getting a little ridiculous. Um, yeah, I would say three is pretty much my limit for this crew, for this story. Um, I think after three, they need to look in moving on to D5 and jumping ahead, you know, another 20 years or whatever. Yeah, 20 years is pretty much the standard between games. Um, although I think, is the, what is the time gap between Diablo 3, three to Diablo 2? Because I heard somebody say it was 50 years, uh, but I don't think that's right at all. Let's see. D3 to... Okay, Diablo 4 takes place exactly 29 years from the events of Diablo 3 in the year 1315. Um, that's from a Reddit thread, so take that with a grain of salt. Here we go. This is an article from Game Rant. I would think that would be a little bit more reliable than um, whatever the other thing I just said was. <laughs> a Reddit thread. That was stupid. This article was written April 12th, so this would have been a couple months before the release of the game. Let me see if I can scan this. Um, 
Oh, okay. This is this ar- whole article is based off of uh, a tweet thread from the the official Diablo Twitter. So let me just pull the tweet up. That'll make it much easier. Um, brief history of Sanctuary. That's the beginning of the universe. Um, Ten twenty five. A small town of Tristram is founded where the Herodrim imprisoned Diablo. Um, okay, here we go. Here, twelve sixty three. The darkening of Tristram occurs. That's Diablo one. 1264 to 1265 is Diablo 2. Diablo Immortal, 1270. Diablo 3 uh, is 1285, with Reaper of Souls taking place in 1286. Lilith returns in Diablo 4 in the year 1336. So that is 50 years after... Wow, 50 years. It does not look like Lorath is aged 50 years. I mean... Granted, in in Reaper of Souls, I would have assumed that he was maybe twenty. I, I did not. I I thought he would have been. He looks like he's fifty in in D four. Not no. He looks a little older than fifty, maybe sixty. Which then I guess the jump. You know, it's only like forty years. But I, again, I'm operating sort of on the assumption that he was that he is, um, twenty. Okay, according to this Game Rant article. Considering Lorath is probably no older than his early 20s during Reaper of Souls, Nar, Lorath Nar, is likely pushing his late 60s or early 70s in Diablo 4. He is still moving for somebody who is, you know, 60 to 70. Um, He's still still moving right along in search of... Yeah, I can't say the words because I will get a copyright strike, (laughs) but... Yeah, man, he actually looks really good considering he's supposed to be that old. Um, where was I going with this originally? Oh, yes, the expansions. I think three is probably my limit. Three, not that I, 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 like I said, I would be super interested in seeing what happens from here on out, see how they move this forward. But after three expansions of like the same crew, basically, because you got to think, Lorath, Narel, um, they are going to have to be involved for like these other expansions as well. And we're going to have to bring in some more characters as well because we don't have that many. Maybe the vampire that we mentioned from the most the upcoming season, um, I believe his name was Ennis or Eris. Let me see if I can go back to that article to be sure. Um, perhaps, not perhaps, likely he or she, I guess I don't know, is going to be involved. Um, let's see. Where did it go? Here we go. Oh, yeah, Eris. Eris, that is the name of the alleged vampire companion that we will be receiving in this. Receiving is not quite the right word, I don't think, but we will uh, be adding to our crew. I just think at a certain point, you know, I'm going to get bored with these people. But like I said, maybe that is because I'm operating under the feelings that I have now, which like I mentioned in our Diablo 4 um, review, I'm not necessarily all that attached to them just because of the way that the story outlined itself. It was a little bit awkward. Um, I don't know. So maybe after given after the uh, the rest of the expansions I'll feel differently I'll I'll enjoy them and I'll I won't want to leave the characters that is entirely possible 
I just think at a certain point you should just make a new game. You know, at some point you're going to need to upgrade the engine, upgrade the mechanics, the graphics, do something to make it different. Um, I don't know. I, I, hmm. I guess it's kind of pointless to wonder about D D5 can, knowing that we have at least one to two more expansions. Well, the the fact that he says that they're going to be annual is weird because I thought I, if I remember correctly, I thought the de a previous develop and uh, excuse me, a developer in a previous article that came out around the time that we did our review, I feel like he said that they were had only two expansions planned. Which of course that if that's annual, you know, that's two years. They have a, you know, the third year. There's quite a a while for them to hammer out a third expansion, but that's weird. I wonder if there's some some incongruence there in in the team. But then again, I guess you know the 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 WoW team has been like this for a while. There's there are times where developers are speaking just on their personal thoughts or what they observe, um, what they think is happening, and there are other times where developers will say something different because they're speaking in an official capacity. Right? There are different. Uh, there, are, it's it's a sort of interesting way that Blizzard does these releases it's it's somewhat different from traditional companies i think because they've been around long enough and their fan base is invested enough that they all have that sort of um that rapport with each other everybody sort of knows everybody at least that's the way it traditionally has been especially in the wow community i don't know if that necessarily applies to this the same to diablo um Hmm. Curious. Curious. I wonder if there's going to be... Oh, there's a curious for you, Spencer. It's been a while since I've said one. <laughs> it's been a while since we had one, but there you go. There's your one. Um, let me see. I don't know. That's very weird to me. I, I guess my next question would be um, who, who said... Or, or rather, who said they had two... Uh, expansions planned previously. I don't know if that was Rod Ferguson, if that was somebody else. They could have been speaking anonymously and, uh, anonymously and just speaking out of their booty cheeks, you know? Um, I don't know. Oh, here we go. Okay, so this is a previous a previous statement that Rod Ferguson told or said to Kinda Funny Games at the time of the game's launch in June. He said, quote, we build things in parallel. Right now, as I sit here, we're about to launch the main game. We're finishing up Season 1. We're working on Season 2. We're working on Expansion 1. We're kicking off Expansion 2. All that's happening right now. So maybe that's what I was thinking, is that he never explicitly said they're only doing two expansions. He just mentioned that they were only working on those two for the time being. Um, I really hope... I'm sure this is going to happen, so it's may it's not it's kind of pointless for me to say I hope because it's almost a certainty. Um, but I'm so excited to see what other classes they bring in future expansions. If I had to guess, I think at some point we're going to get um, the Amazons. I think we're going to see the Amazons again, 
they're going to make a return from D2. Um, we already have the Druid from D2, but I think the Amazons are going to play a role because the Sightless Eye was originally a major aspect of their civilization, and it was stolen from them by the rogues, and eventually... Um, Again, I'm, I'm not going to go too deep because I don't necessarily remember and I don't want to spoil what I do remember. Through some method, uh, the player character comes into contact with the Sightless Eye and uses that uh, in their quest to defeat Lilith. And I believe... Actually, let me let me not say that because I don't know if that's true. I don't want to um, say that if I'm not 100% sure on that. But... So I think the the Amazons are going to make a comeback. I also think. What else? What else? What is what else is a possibility? We already have Necro. Um, I think the Necromancer storyline is going to have to play a bigger role in some seasons moving forward because we have to know what's going on with Tragul, the Dragon of Balance. I mean, after the death of Rathma. What 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 is going on? Like what what do we how do we move forward from this? How does is is it is it the universe balanced right now or is it out of balance? And the dragon is going to be to, sorry. This I should I should probably have explained this better to people who don't necessarily um, play or have I guess not even play, but to people who are unfamiliar with the lore, this is a little bit crazy. Rathma is the son of. Um, Lilith and Anarius, some major players in not not players in like the colloquial sense, some major actors in D four and the Diablo universe writ large. Rathma is the founding necromancer, and he is uh, pledged he pledged his allegiance to this dragon called Tragul, who is known as the Dragon of Balance. And Tragul, as one might assume. Main try attempts to maintain the balance, and so I'm curious to see where that goes following the death of Rathma. And um, oh, sorry, that's a spoiler. I didn't sp I didn't spoiler warning that part, um, but there was a spoiler warning earlier, so I suppose it, it's sort of I, it should be covered. It should be covered. Um, hmm. Yeah, I want to know what's going with going on with that. But yeah, so we already have the Necro. I think some other classes we could see. Um. The witch doctor was poorly received. We're not going to see him or or her. We're not going to see that class. Um, I don't think we're going to see the demon hunter class because the rogue sort of is the demon hunter. Sort of similar mechanics. Not not one-to-one, -one, but vaguely similar. Um, we could see paladins from... Uh, oh, geez, what were the paladins? And was that D2? Or Crusaders from D3. Similar but different organizations. Um, temp Templars were never playable. That was just your companion in D3. So yeah, if I had to guess, I would say we're probably going to get Amazons, Crusaders. I hope we get Monks, because the Monk was, my, was always my favorite in D3. Um, and that was the only time we really saw the Monk. There was another game that the monk was involved in but i don't think that game is canon anymore it was it wasn't like a, a direct expansion but it was like this weird spin-off of of the first diablo i believe but i don't think that's canon so don't quote me on that um but yeah i think 
those are those are the three I would like to see. Of those, I think the most likely is probably the Amazon, and then the second most likely would be either the Paladin or the Crusader. And then my pick that I don't think is very likely at all, but one I would very much enjoy, would be the Monk from D3. Um, but we will have to see. We will be, you know, keeping our eyes on that, making sure that we are apprised of any new updates. Um, and once BlizzCon rolls around, perhaps we'll get a virtual ticket and do some live coverage. I don't know. Either way, we'll be doing a recap like we do for most major conventions. Um, but that is where we will leave this story for now to pick it back up in perhaps two months. All right, so our final news story this week, SAG-AFTRA is looking to get authorization for a second strike against video game companies. Now, this is all while SAG-AFTRA strike against the AMPTP is still ongoing. So reading from the article, SAG-AFTRA has said the negotiations toward a new video game contract have reached a, quote, stalemate, and that a strike would be the next best step to win wage increases and protection from artificial intelligence. SAG-AFTRA's current contract with companies like Activision Productions, Electronic Arts Productions, Insomniac Games, Epic Games, Warner Brothers Games, and more was set to expire on November 7th, 2022, uh, so that is last November, but the two parties agreed to extend the talks another year. As of this writing, the talks between the two parties will resume on September 26th. So that is almost exactly three weeks from now. SAG-AFTRA is looking for an 11% retroactive increase in rates for video game performers, followed by increases of 4% and 4%. This is in line with the asks SAG-AFTRA has given the AMPTP. It also includes the previously mentioned protections from AI, which the union says threatens both voice and performance capture artists. Furthermore, SAG-AFTRA wants rest periods, safety protections, and an an on-set medic, and a, quote, prohibition against stunts during self-taped auditions, end quote. I don't get that one. That last tenet, that's a little weird. Prohibition against stunts during self-taped self-taped auditions that's a little weird is that a thing that you i guess i mean i again i'm not inside the industry so i don't really know how the audition process goes but i think i would think if it's a self-taped audition then you wouldn't necessarily tell the video game companies to you know prohibit that you would tell the actors hey stop doing your own stunts uh i I, I don't know. I mean, that's a little weird. I don't, I don't know necessarily what control the uh, the b- 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 the video game company has over that. But that being said, you know, the rest of these uh, demands seem to be fairly reasonable. Um, 11% retroactive increase in rates. I don't know the nature of the contract of the rates. I don't know if 11% is is necessarily feasible for a lot of these companies, I I don't know. Um, Based off of what they're being paid now, 11% could be a lot. It could be a little. Um, Of course, they're going to counter probably with, oh, 
let's say four percent four percent and then we'll settle with like six or seven which i think i think is fair um i don't know and then let's see what else do we have obviously the ai protections are 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 definitely needed for for entertainers in the industry for writers for actors for um the the other people what are they called um performance capture artists there we go safety protections and rest periods on-site medic I, d- I can't believe that that wasn't already in place i guess i don't know what they mean necessarily by safety protections um, i'm sure there was some safety protections already put in place i guess i don't know explicitly what they want added um let's read back to the article here this is a statement from sag after president fran Trasha. Quote, once again, artificial intelligence is putting our members in jeopardy of reducing their opportunity to work. And once again, SAG-AFTRA is standing up to tyranny on behalf of its members. Gee, Christmas. Let's, yeah, let's increase the temperature a little bit, Fran. Let's, let's use the most inflaming rhetoric possible. That seems really smart. Yeah, because the video game companies are imposing tyranny. Yeah, that's definitely the correct use of the word tyranny. Dear Lord, that w- that's absolutely ridiculous. Um, in that statement, I'm not going to lie, Fran Drescher has lost a lot of sympathy I've had for her union. Obviously, you know, like the individual actors and the individual members of the union I support, but geez, Fran, that was absolutely ridiculous. I can't believe that. That makes me so, that makes me so angry. That was insane. Oh man, I gotta calm my blood pressure. <laughs> that was insane. Um, let's move back to this stupid article. Oh, <laughs> uh, da, 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 da. let here we go. Audrey Cooling, a spokesperson. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't move past it. That was just insane. Um, am I crazy for thinking that was that was insane, or is that does everybody else? Is it just me? I don't know. Okay, here we go. Get a cramp. <laughs> Mm. Audrey Cooling, a spokesperson for the video game companies, released a statement saying they want a fair contract as well. Quote, We all want a fair contract that reflects the important contributions of SAG-AFTRA represented performers in an industry that delivers world-class entertainment to billions of players around the world. We are negotiating in good faith and hope to reach a mutually beneficial deal as soon as possible. End quote. You see, Fran, that that's a much better statement. See, that... that conveys dignity as well as uh you know what you're going for that's much better than just calling the opposite side uh, a tyranny that was oh golly here we go back to the article the last time sag aftra went on strike against the gaming companies was in october of 2016 and it lasted 11 months so i don't know i feel like I don't know. Like, I don't. I obviously don't know the inside baseball here. I don't know how these negotiations work. I don't know the logistics of the union itself if they can sustain a secondary a secondary strike. I don't know. Um, I would say, obviously, you need to reach an agreement that you think benefits you and doesn't lock you into a contract for the next three years and something that is ultimately going to end up screwing you over. But at the same time, I do think, I, and I hope this is a conversation that they're having, and I'm sure that I'm obviously sure they are, um, 
but I hope they're having the conversation to discuss, is it really worth it to go on a second strike right now, or should we just continue to pour all of our effort into this strike against the AMPTP? Because I feel like that affects more people. Um, I feel like that would be that's where you're going to see the most likelihood of change, um, the most benefits towards you as well. I feel like these the, the contracts with these video game companies, while there's certainly some deals that are that are do- going well and providing well for these artists and and such, I feel like the the hope. I I don't know. I don't know. I just. Like I said, I don't. I'm not saying that they should necessarily just capitulate to whatever the video game companies want. I don't. I don't think that's right because I'm sure that they have been um, not receiving what is is uh, commensurate with their work. I'm certain that that is the case. The question remains, though: Is this a good use of resources? Is this a good use of time? I would probably say without having any information whatsoever if you had to pick one drop the video game strike you know i don't think it's necessarily important i don't know if they can sustain a second strike right now like i said i don't know literally anything but it seems to me that this may not be the most um the most beneficial use of time and resources uh i don't know i just think I don't want the entire entertainment industry to shut down. <laughs> I don't want, like, as like again, as a person, um, I understand, I support your right to strike, you know, get your money, you know, workers of the world, unite, whatever. Um, I do support you, but as a consumer, as somebody who enjoys the material, as somebody who derives just an insane amount of pleasure from these forms of media please you know reach an agreement right like i obviously it's it's easier said than done um i think but i think right now both sides are sort of taking a hard line position and they sort of need to be a little bit more i don't i can't think of the right word to really describe that without making it seem like they're just sort of chickening out as it were i think both sides need to soften up a little bit and be willing to come to the table and make a deal and negotiate there was a statement from fran drescher who i guess i've already voiced my opinion on now which i didn't necessarily have this opinion of her before but that statement was just completely egregious but she said previously um that they would not be accepting any incremental changes to their contract with the AMPTP, which I think is absolutely ridiculous. Incrementalism is how you have change. It's how you receive change. It's how you move forward. Um, You can't just destroy the whole system. You need to incrementally change things. Again, I I think Fran Drescher, she's just... Her rhetoric is absolutely, absolutely ridiculous, and maybe that's the point, right? Maybe that's literally the point. Uh, I don't know. I'm not going to... I don't know, but... I don't know where I was going with this. Um, where was I going with this? Oh, yes. As a consumer, as somebody who... I want to give you my money. I very much want to give you my money, so please make it so that I can give you my money. 
stop delaying the movies, you know, start writing, get back to writing, get back to acting, uh, make the video games, don't halt the video game industry as well. Please, let's let's just move move on. Please, <laughs> please. Ugh. No, like I said, I understand the need to strike and I support the need and desire to strike. It is just frustrating as somebody who is not involved in the industry whatsoever and just wants to partake in the media. Um, the longer this goes on, the more irritated I get and the more I... The, the less I care, frankly. The longer this goes on, the less I'm like, yes, I support your right to strike, and the more I'm like, let's just end the strike. <laughs> you know, I don't care who needs to capitulate, whether the the production companies need to give up or whether the SAG after needs to give up, but somebody needs to do something so that we can get some freaking entertainment here. Bring me my bread and circuses. <laughs> Ugh, I don't know. I guess I guess we'll just have to keep an eye on this and maybe maybe everything will just come to the end. Maybe maybe we'll just have to have no entertainment for the next couple years. Maybe in which case it'll be a very bleak world. It's been hard to discuss news as of late. It's been hard to find actual news stories that are interesting and pertinent to this podcast simply because Due to the SAG after strike and the WGA strike, people aren't allowed to promote their work. There's no new updates coming out. All of the new updates are, oh, this project is delayed and this project is delayed. You know, every once in a while you get something interesting like this from the video games, which may be reaching an end soon, or um, from from like a film festival, but those are relatively few and far between. Uh, so it's making it difficult, uh, and it is going to be bleak we'll find we'll make do you know we'll have maybe we'll just have to revisit some old things i don't know but we will we will make do and hopefully cooler heads uh than fran drescher will prevail (laughs) so that we can uh you know move forward and everybody can be a little bit happy everybody can be a little bit unhappy but we can continue to have the things that make me happy make me happy (laughs) oh man yeah that is all for now we'll have to keep our eye out for updates and we will keep you apprised as we get more information well that's about all we have for news stories this week but moving on to a little bit of a new segment that i think we're going to start trying to add in at the end of every episode we're just going to take uh just a couple minutes here to sort of discuss something that we've been watching reading playing as of late um just a little way to you know give you guys some recommendations maybe without actually having to do a full hour-long review um and just uh, just so you know that what what we've been up to lately, this week, uh, well not this week, but for the past month or so, I've been in a a very a very heavy Superman mood. Um, some of you may know this. I have been going a little crazy as of late. I have watched um, I watched Christopher Reeve Superman, Man of Steel, Superman the Animated Series. I uh, I've read some Superman comics. Um, and it's actually a comic that I want to discuss a little bit today. I just finished reading uh, Superman Earth One by J. Michael Straczynski. 
So this is a new take on the Superman origin story uh, set in the 21st century. This is sort of uh, a way to introduce the character outside of the traditional viewpoint that we see him as. You know, he is a 21st century teenager, right? Um, I think the comic in and of itself was decent. As an origin story for Clark Kent goes, I loved it. It was very it was very interesting. It's a sort of take on the Clark character that we don't necessarily see all that often. Uh, it starts out with him trying to find a job in Metropolis. And, you know, it's, it's again, that's just not something that we see. We don't typically get to see the day-to-day life of Clark Kent. And this goes about it in an interesting way. Um... Straczynski goes out of his way to showcase that Clark isn't just some regular old guy, right? Um, He's not just some klutz, some dummy who happens to have superpowers, right? He goes out of his way to emphasize the fact that Clark is Clark is a genius in his own right. Clark is very intelligent. Um, He knows what he's doing. And he's very unsure of himself right now. But he's a very, very talented individual. Uh, He's able to solve complex science and math problems. He's highly sought after. Uh, The series, or yes, the series opens with Clark going to multiple job interviews in these applying to R&D departments. He applies to, uh, uh, I think he even tries out for the Metropolis, like, foot, football team. Like, he, he does, he makes the rounds, as it were, and eventually he gets to the Daily Planet. Um, and Perry sort of shuns him away, right? He sort of, he's like, look, homie, maybe we'll have, uh, maybe we'll have an opening at some point, but right now... It, the Daily Planet, you know, isn't what it used to be. What with the advent of the internet, media, the media landscape is very different now. And and so, you know, um, Perry Perry White gives Clark a little bit of trouble and so forth. And eventually, Clark will return home briefly to Smallville, right? And he has this heartfelt moment where he's sitting at Jonathan Kent, his his adoptive father's grave, and he talks things through and he tries to figure out what he wants to do and he goes and talks to Martha Martha how do you know that name um sorry couldn't help myself he talks to her and he's like look I can get this job in like wherever where I'm making six figures and I can give you everything you want and she goes that's not what I want sweetie honey bumpkin you know I don't want a a mansion I just want you to be happy, right? And what she really wants is for him to use his powers for good, but he is hesitant. Um, and eventually, you know, we get to the point where Clark needs to reveal himself and he eventually, you know, saves the city and blah, blah, blah. As far as the actual fight, the climactic fight, the uh, conflict of the issue, I'm... I'm not a fan of. I thought that was stupid. Uh, I didn't like it really at all. Um, it's it's vaguely similar to Man of Steel. Uh, it's not Zod who is the villain, but it's it's a similar thing. Um, 
there's the the guy uh i believe his name's tyrell uh he's from a planet that is neighbors with with krypton and he's searching for the last kryptonian to basically destroy it and blah 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 and it's whatever I didn't like him at all. I thought the conflict itself was was over rushed. We didn't really get anything on the villain, on the conflict, on the conflict, on the conflict. Um, that being said, the gravity of the situation was very well orchestrated, but the villain itself was kind of poorly executed. Um, so, as far as the Superman aspect goes of the of the comic, I didn't think that was particularly incredible, but the Clark Kent aspect was phenomenal. It was a, it was a wonderful origin story. Um, it's it's like a single issue comic, but I believe it was it was it's like thirty pages long or so. It's it's one of the it's a fairly long single issue comic. Um, I think they have a second and third issue now. I know they have a second issue. I think they have a third as well, and I I do plan on reading those hopefully. Um, they they sort of alter <laughs> alter the tone a little bit with uh, with regards to Superman, but I thought it was very fun. Um, I got the first volume for like eight bucks at half price books. I think that was worth it. I I wouldn't. I don't know if it's necessarily worth like the say fifteen that it probably goes for at a traditional comic book store or like that you could get it on Amazon. Um. But it was it was decent. I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it at least. And I think that is going to wrap us up for this episode. If you enjoyed this episode or any of the episodes we have done hitherto, please share that with any friends that you think may enjoy it as well. Word of mouth is the most effective way for podcasts to grow. And we would very much appreciate that. Um... But yes, I think we will end it here. We will catch you. Oh, oh, before I end, uh, I wanted to say tomorrow is Star Trek Day. Happy Star Trek Day. Um, my dad told me of this. I was not aware of it. I believe it is, if I remember what he said, it is the date of the pilot or premiere of the original series. Yes, first airing of the original series. Um, that goes tomorrow, and if you have access to Paramount+, Plus, they have a lot, a lot of events and specials and various things going on throughout the day. So go ahead and tune into those. Um, I-, I like Star Trek. It's fun. I have to, I have to finish, I have to finish my rewatch, or not my rewatch, I have to finish my first watch, my first viewing of the original series. I think I got to the beginning of season three and then I took a break and I that was like six months ago and I have not revisited it so I should definitely do that um I know that for a while we have been discussing perhaps doing a Star Trek retrospective for my father before me um so keep your eyes peeled for that turn on notifications on any of our social medias so that you never miss an update never miss an episode so that you can always tune in and listen to us rant for an overly long amount of time. <laughs> that is the official end. I will actually leave it there this time. We will catch you guys next week.